Isn't that good, church? Yeah, that's great. You guys can go ahead and be seated. The words of that song, the, the truth that we are reminded of, that we are already loved and we are already chosen. And that's the way that God loves you. Not, not that you could earn his affection, but you're already loved, you're already chosen. He wants you. And that kind of love, I, I believe, is so reflected in the way that Robin Wood treats people. Uh, because if you haven't had the opportunity to talk to him yet, he loves you and he doesn't even know you yet. Um, you are the best. You are his favorite. And there's just this truth that that kind of love uh, just kind of radiates from him. And since before anything Gulfside Church ever happened, he has seen the vision. He has been a part of it. He's invested in himself, his dollars, his time, his energy. Uh, he's been committed to you before he ever met you. Yeah. And he serves as an overseer of our church, which means he tells me to jump and I, I say, how high? He tells me where to go and I go um, because he's been places that we haven't been yet. Um, Pastor Robin has planted churches. He's coached church planters. Uh, the church that he pastored in Phoenix, Arizona grew to over 3,000 in attendance. And so he's a guy who knows what he's doing. And so it is um, a privilege for me to have him in my life. And it is a privilege uh, for us to have him preaching with us today. Would you help me welcome Pastor Robin Wood today? I love you, buddy. You guys. Wow. If you not met me, guess what I'm going to do? I'm going to have him speak at my funeral. That was just so good. Here's from Pastor Greg. Listen, when Pastor Greg met me on the back row, I'd met him one time at age 27, and then I worshiped at a Christmas Eve service in Muncie, Indiana, because I had gotten married to Julia. And uh, he had not seen me since 27 years of age. And he walked the crowd. Now, he never walks the crowd. And he called me by name. He said, what are you doing here tonight? And I said, well, I married Julia. I'm working in Oklahoma City, but I'm home for Christmas break. We had to live apart the first year and a half of our marriage. And so he said, would you see me before you leave town? So he said, I would meet you at Red Lobster. By the way, Ask me on Monday, I'll always eat all-you-can-eat shrimp on Monday at Red Lobster, okay? Now, you have to be responsive today, because my voice is low, or I'll just quit talking to you. Come on, that was funny. So, I met him, he had asked for my book, he began with this. He said, Robin, I've read your book. Then he stopped, and he said, I haven't read one chapter. Come on, people, that's funny. He said, but my wife read your book in one day, and I'm going to ask you if you'll pray about helping me plant churches. And he went on to tell me the story that he'd been praying when he works out every morning that God would give him someone. He goes, I believe you're that person. I said, no, I'm not the answer to your prayer. I'm a nightmare. Come on, people, enjoy that. He said, no, you're not. And so I prayed about it, and, and, and that's what happened. I said yes to a seven-year call that he gave me to try to plant five churches in 10 years. And Paul was our first. You know what I prayed? God, if you don't do it, through this guy and Tia and this wonderful family, then you know you invest about $200,000 to plant a church. If it fails, you, you, you have to ask your donors, can you try it again? It doesn't work that way. So when we started our first 74 churches, we only failed one time, and our donors always said, unbelievable. Come on, give it up for that. That's awesome. So you people, here's from Pastor Greg because of that. Gulfside Church Dear Gulfside Church, like the Apostle Paul. By the way, he is the Apostle Paul. 
Gulfside Church has become a model of inspiration for us at Union Chapel. We talk about you all the time. You are number one among the growing number of new churches we've planted. This fall, that will reach 22 new plants at Union Chapel alone. Paul and Tia Erminger continue to lead with distinction and provide a model of excellence for new emerging leaders. I am so proud. Listen to this, Paul and Tia, and the whole congregation. I am so proud of you two. I am so impressed with everyone associated with Gulfside Church. You have set the path. The best is yet to come on. Come on, people, give it up. That is awesome. Now listen, I'm known kind of for catchphrases, but I want you to say the best is yet to come with the most energy you can muster. Ready? Let's do it. The best is yet to come. One more time. Come on. The best is yet to come. Amen. Today, something happened to me last night. I realized we were commissioning leaders. I had a whole sermon ready for you, and and God changed it. So I'm not just telling you that. Don't worry, it's not impressive because I had to say the sermon two times on the way down here today. But God gave me this direction, so I want, I want to give it to you. I want you to learn a phrase out of the book of Solomon when we preached on Solomon. Solomon is famous, you know what for, when the two women, one of the babies died because one of the mothers accidentally rolled over on the baby. And then the mothers were claiming that the alive one was their baby. And so he didn't know well, how to make the decision. And finally, he said, well, then we'll just cut the baby in half. Ridiculous, okay? It sounds ridiculous, doesn't it? But guess what the real mother said? No, 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 no. See, the other mother said, yeah, do that. That sounds good. The real mother said, don't do it. I'd rather lose my son. Don't kill my son. And he became famous for his wisdom. So famous that God allowed him to ask anything that he wanted. God could trust him so much, he could ask for anything, and he did ask for wisdom. He could ask for money, he could have asked for fame, he could have asked for prosperity, but he asked for wisdom. So God gave him what he wanted. I'm not going to tell you when I say this, but Pastor Greg was preaching on that passage, and that week when he prepared he had a moment where he felt the presence of God in his office. No one was around. No one was in the building. He was there late studying. And he said, Robin, I promise you, the presence was so heavy. And I felt God say to me, Pastor Greg, you can ask for anything. I trust you. And Greg said, for a moment, we're buying our way out of the United Methodist Church. In fact, we've already done that as July 1. He said, for a moment, I had a, a little laugh with God. I said, I could use that $1.1 million. Come on, people. <laughs> but he said, no, no. He said, God, you know, I, don't, I, I would never ask for that. And then he asked for something. Now, I'm going to tell you at the end of the service what he asked for. Because I'm going to ask you if you'll claim something very similar to it. I want you to think maybe during the whole message what you would ask for. Now, as we study the book and the story of Solomon, he gave me the next passage for Mother's Day. Come on, you got to laugh at it. He gave me the worst passage you could ever have for Mother's Day. It's the worst. It's about his sons, Rehoboam and Jeroboam. They were terrible kings. 
They split the kingdom, and it never came back together until Jesus. Look at me, people. And he said, preach on Mother's Day. I said, the only thing I could say is they had terrible mothers. Come on, people. No. And by the way, you know what it tells us in Solomon? We said he had wisdom, but he didn't have wisdom because he had 800 wives. That's stupidity. Come on, people. That's not wisdom. And this, they had, what was it? A thousand more concubines? It's a, it's a terrible story. So Solomon didn't finish strong. He started strong. I want you to let that sink in. Because, see, I'm 68 as of last month. And my only prayer every morning, Greg and I are praying it every morning, God, help us finish strong. Oh, I've had a lot of dark spots. I've had a lot of bumps in the road. I've had some things I'm ashamed of after being a Christian, after being a pastor and a planter. But my prayer every morning is help me finish strong. And your leaders that are going to be commissioned today, you pray that prayer. Help us finish this race. It's, it's a great start. Help us finish strong. Because the enemy has his eye after you guys. He will take any, he will break up any marriage. He'll break up any family. He'll take down any pastor to destroy the greatness of this church. If you don't believe that, then you better read the Bible. He'll do anything to kill, steal, and destroy. So I'm going to give you a good word today. So Rehoboam took over, and he called the elders. He called the elders, and he asked them, how should I lead? Now, their father had heaped loads of harder work over and over for more money, more power. And now Rehoboam, the elders of the church, say this phrase. I don't want you to ever forget it. If you lighten their load, go ahead and throw that up there. If you lighten their load, they will follow you. And guess what Rehoboam did? didn't do? He didn't lighten their load. He doubled their load. Because you know what? When you're called to be a leader, it's a great thing. But when you don't lead like Jesus... It's a terrible thing. Because you know what leadership does, don't you? If you give ultimate power, you misuse power. You misuse money. You misuse sex. Richard Foster changed my life when I was in my late 20s, when I read the book Money, Sex, and Power. And he explained how Jesus had all three of those temptations in the wilderness. Remember what Satan said to him? We don't read the Bible with much creativity, and we don't laugh at the right places. So please prepare yourself to laugh. Jesus had not eaten or had any water for 40 days, and he was hungry. Come on. Really? You people sitting there like, well, I think he was hungry. Come on, people. And guess what Satan said? Turn these stones into bread. Meet your physical needs. Not just food. Meet your needs sexually. Meet your needs in every way human, humans need. And guess what he said? Man will not live by bread alone. Every leader that's commissioned today, you say no to that temptation to meet your needs before the needs of the kingdom. Pastor Paul, never meet your needs first. And God will take care of you. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. What's it say? And all things will be added. But don't seek anything that's added. Seek the kingdom. Then he was tempted. Look over all that you can see from this mountaintop. I give you everything. And Jesus said no again. See, you want power? You want fame? I'll give you everything. But it will distort your life. 
And then the final one, throw yourself off the mountain. Call the angels to rescue you. (laughs) Unbelievable. And Jesus said no. Now listen, he said no to the immediate. And then at the right time, God allowed him to turn a few loaves and fishes into a multitude of food to feed the 5,000. He said no to power over all the people. And someday every knee, look at me people, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that he is Lord. He said no to calling the angels as a show. And when he was going to the cross, look at me, when he was going to the cross for you and me, when he was going to shed his blood for you, worthless people, come on, I'm sorry to say that, but worthless people like Robin Wood, people who lost their way, even after becoming a Christian, like Peter denying him in the garden, the angels came and comforted him at the right time, at the right moment, so your salvation could be purchased. Unbelievable. You're going to be leaders of this church. Say no to the three great temptations. And God will use this church to reach a multitude. Literally, listen to me, thousands of people. You say yes to any of those temptations, you'll be a very insignificant church. Now, I want you to say the phrase, if you lighten their load. Come on, say it. Yeah, you're totally a white congregation. Come on, people. If you lighten their load. One more time. If you lighten their load. Now, here's what I'm going to challenge you, leaders and everyone here today. You can lighten the load of everybody God entrusts to you. You can begin with your family. It was Mother's Day, so I finally got to this point. I looked at every mom and dad, said, you can lighten the load of your children. You know what they're thinking. They're thinking I'm dumb enough to give them advice how to raise their kids. I'm not that stupid. You can raise your kids any way that God allows you to do that. But I'm going to tell you, do it under the covering of be a servant to your children. I know some of you are going to say, no, I can't serve my... Oh, no. Listen, I brag on my son-in-law. He's a blue angel. You guys know that. Wouldn't you brag on your son-in-law? Come on. He's a jet fighter pilot. He's now lieutenant colonel. He's over the whole base in North Carolina. He's got one year left. But guess what? Guess what I see every time I see Aaron? I said, Aaron, what's different about the Marines? Don't take this wrong if you're in the Army or Navy I go, what's different about, what's the number one different thing about the Marines? You know what he told me? We serve everybody under us. Is there a Marine in here today? Raise your hand. Any Marines? I can't see any hands. (laughs) Here's the deal. I believe him now because I've watched him do it. When he got named Lieutenant Colonel and I went to that ceremony during COVID, guess what the first words out of his mouth were? He turned to my daughter, Leah. And Marines don't cry, but he had tears come down his face. Leah, you've moved 15 times. You have never complained. You've raised our three children while I was up doing dangerous things in the jets. You came to every performance. You have led our family. And now there wasn't a dry eye in the place. There were 12 Marines there, and I looked around. He said, you are the queen of my life. Listen. He lightened her load. After it was over, I said, honey, you were crying. She goes, I was crying because we had to move again. Come on, people. (laughs) 
They were just with me for an entire... I've never had my adult children in Indiana with me and my seven grandchildren. Now, I'm going to teach you something this morning that I don't want you to ever forget, okay? Uh, throw, up, throw up the next... I can't... It's not showing for me. Let me turn around and see. Throw up the next phrase here. The, the next slide. The, I can't preach on luggage. Okay, now next one. Next one. Next one. Okay, I want you to know my family. This is my blended family. These are my bonus kids. That's Julia, Corbin, Gracie, and Maggie. Come on, give it up. Come on, come on. This is the fun part of the message. Okay, go to the next one. Go to the next one. Now, is that the most precious? Leave it up. Leave it up. Right there on the left is my grandson, Ellis. Ellis is an adopted embryo. Brady's wife was told... Alicia, you can't carry your own embryo. She'd had seven miscarriages. But she wanted to have a baby, so she did her research. She found out she could adopt an embryo. They met this precious couple that didn't want to destroy their last four embryos. They already had four kids, and they gifted an embryo to them. And she carried Ellis for nine months in her womb. And she gave birth to Ellis. Come on, people, give it up. Is that awesome? Now, next to him... His name is Mason. But look at me. I call him Pele. Come on, people. You know why I call him Pele? Because my son coaches this soccer team. He said, Dad, it's a disaster. He goes, Pele's unbelievable. He goes, I have to give Ellis a fruit snack just to get him to go on the field. And he won't stay on the field unless I keep slipping him fruit snacks. Come on, people. He said, then we have four girls. They're fun. But they go out on the field and they sit down. Come on, just enjoy. He said, no matter what I do, Dad, I tempt them. I, 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 I promise things to them. And they just, he said, one game, we were behind four to one. Ellis walked off the field. I gave him food snacks. He threw them down. The girls sat down. They quit. Ellis was the last one standing for one more quarter. We were behind four to one. And he came back and beat him five to four. Come on, people. <laughs> Pele scored goals all by himself. Now, you know in that age group, there's no goalie. So he was just a terror on the field. He's amazing. Let me tell you something. Look at me. I want you to get real sober. Mason's mother tried to abort him. And then when he was born, she discarded him. And someone found him wrapped naked out in a secluded place. And now Brady's neighbor adopted him. And you know what I know, don't you? God's going to infill his life. And he has a story to tell about being adopted. And we have a story to tell when we're in Christ. We've been adopted. Every leader commissioned today, you've been adopted. And the greatest gift you can give your kids is the next verse I'm going to teach you. It's from John chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. It's the story of Jesus turning the water into wine. But here's how the story goes. Remember Mary? She's heard from an angel, Gabriel. She knows her son's going to be the son of God, the Messiah. She's heard the prophecies. She's heard what he's going to be able to do. And now he's 30 years old, and nothing's happened that's been promised to her. She's pondered these things in her heart. By the way, leaders, ponder things in your heart. Ponder the promises of God. Ponder the vision of, 
of Gulfside. Ponder what you learn when you hear the word of God and hold it in your heart. It will never happen in your timetable, but it will happen in your lifetime. And she pondered these things. And she went to this wedding. Again, we're not fun with the scriptures. It says they went to this wedding and Jesus invited the disciples to come. And the party was going on. And all of a sudden, the guests ran, the people hosting the wedding ran out of wine. Now that was a shameful thing in Jesus' day. To not have enough resources that provide enough wine. You know why they ran out of wine, don't you? Are you following me? The disciples were there. Come on. James and John were called sons of thunder. They could throw it down. Come on, people. You think, you think when they followed Jesus, they quit drinking right away? No, they didn't. Not right away. Now listen. Ran out of wine, and Mary says to Jesus, turn the water into wine. Now notice, he's very upset because he doesn't say, Mom, it's not my time. He says, Woman, it's not my time. Now you've got to love this story. He says, woman, it's not my time. Kind of barking back at his mom. She turns away from him, ignores him, because she's a Jewish mom. Come on, people. You people don't read the Bible in any creative way. A Jewish mom doesn't care what the kid says. She just told him what to do. And she turns away and says to the servants, you do whatever he tells you. Did you hear that? You do whatever he tells you to do. You want to be great leaders? Paul, you want to be a great pastor? You want to change the world? You do whatever he tells you to do. You want to be a great parent? I'm not going to tell you whether you should spank your kids or not spank your kids. I'm 68, so I can tell you it's a waste of time to spank them. But don't judge me. I know you're already judging me. We spanked Brady so many times, we've apologized to him a thousand times, and now he's one of the greatest leaders I've ever met. He said, Dad, I've already forgiven you for those worthless spankings. Because you know what? Every kid is different. I just had seven grandkids at my house. Seven grandkids. They're all so different. So I got two boys from Leah's side that are 10 and 9. One of them's shy, afraid to go down the slide. The other one dove off the slide. Come on. I said, don't you dare. I said, Miles, get down from there. And you know what he said to me, don't you? Here I come. He dove from the top of the slide into my swimming pool. It's 10 feet deep, but that's ridiculous. When he was three years old, he fell over the slide into the bushes. Why didn't I remember that? I shouldn't allow him on the slide. But all the kids are different. Some are loud, some are soft. Some have outgoing personalities, some are pulled back. Some have a sweet disposition, some bark back at their mom or dad. Hey, so here's what I'm going to teach you today. I'm praying that this book comes out. Not because I wrote it, but I did write it. I'm praying it comes out because I believe it will help every relationship in every church, every corporation, every marriage, every relationship from father, son, you know, mother, daughter, every relationship. Because there's only one thing you can say to your kid to gain their trust. Look at me. I get you. Did you hear that? Come on, since it's the title of my book, please say it with me. I get you. It's the most intimate thing you can say to your wife. Isn't that true, Sally? The most intimate thing he says to you is, Sally, I get you. And Sally, you say, I get you. Notice we don't change each other. We might have married an opposite, which is what I did, but I get my wife. And she gets me. 
Here's what she wrote as the preface of my book. She wrote, there's not one day I get Robin Wood. Come on. That's what she wrote. She said, the next sentence, there's not one day I get why he wants to plant another church. There's not one day I get why he's in 24 orphanages in Haiti and 36 in Africa. There's not one day I get any choice he makes for ministry. Guess what she wrote next? But I fell in love with Robin Hood. And then she wrote, and if I can get what I don't get about who I don't get, come on people, that's pretty good. I can get a great relationship with him. And she said, I have a great relationship. Because you know the sadness of life? When you had to say, I don't get you at all. It breaks every relationship. People leave churches when they say, I don't get my pastor. You need to get a doctorate on your pastor. Start with his personality. He's an ENTP on the Myers-Briggs. You ready for this? I'm not putting him on a pedestal. He's a half of 1% of the whole population. So most of you shouldn't get him at all. You shouldn't get him at all. Because he thinks outside the body. He's the highest visionary. I'm not in that category. My pastor is in his category. My pastor sees a thousand more church plants. And guess what I do? The next one. I see the next one. I'm an ENFJ. So we have eight new plants this fall. And that's all I'm focused on. And I keep telling Pastor Greg, you keep casting the vision. We'll get to a thousand. But I have to do the next one. See, we're all different, aren't we? So I want you to say, I get Robin Wood. And I want you to get Greg Paris. I want you to get Paul Erminger. I want you to get Tia Erminger. You know why I want you to get Tia? You know why I love Tia? She's me and the female. Come on, people. <laughs> like, if you don't get the warmth you want from Paul, don't worry. You'll get it from Tia. She's an ENFJ. And every time I see her, I said, you're the warmest. In fact, Tia, I don't love anybody more than you except me. Come on. That's what I tell her. <laughs> but she gets me. The most powerful thing, you leaders that are going to be dedicated today, the most powerful thing you can say to Paul is, I get you. Not the same. We should have all different personalities on the board. But I'm going to tell you a story here. Ready? At Mountain Park, I planted in 1987. Some of you know the story. We made 23,000 phone calls in our community just to simply ask, are you active in a church or are you not? I had never been to Phoenix until I moved there to plant a church. I didn't have anybody in my core group. You know, I met with 90 people, so God showed me my charisma. He gave me six. Come on, people, that's hilarious. So six people helped me plant the church at Mountain Park. I go back to preach August 7th to tell that story under the new pastor there. He said, Robin, you had to come and tell this, this, this story. So I told him, I'm going to tell this story, and I'm going to tell you. I had a run for four years where we grew to 200, then back, then 300, and then back. And then I was exhausted. You know, I was, I was working out on my own powers sometimes, not because I was rejecting God. It's just you give it everything you have. And then I had a board that you're going to commission today. We didn't do any personality testing. We didn't understand each other. We just chose leaders without any criteria. We didn't even use Timothy, really, even though that's good guidelines there. But we, we tried to choose the most faithful people. And we did. And guess what? After about six months, I asked for a vote of confidence. And every other one said this. It's still a nightmare to tell the story. Ready? The first one said, I want you to be my pastor. That felt good. You led me to Christ. 
I know we're going through some rough things, but I want you to be my pastor. The next one said, I don't want you to continue. I think your ministry's over here. He wasn't mean. He just said, you brought us this far. We need something else. The next one said, I want you to be my pastor. The next one said, similar phrase, I don't want you to be. I want you, I don't. You know, I love you, I love you not. I love you, I love you not. Until the final ninth person said, I want you to be my pastor. So I won the vote five to four. Come on, just laugh. Come on, laugh. Come on, laugh. Come on, it's too serious. It's all true. I fell apart. I walked out that night, and I constructed a letter of resignation. My father had said, if you don't have the board, if you don't have the leaders, you just can't go forward. So I constructed that letter. And fortunately for my own mental health, that board didn't accept my letter of resignation. Five of them didn't. I didn't know this till three years later. They asked me if I'd go to counseling, and I didn't save my life. Because there were a lot of things going on. My dad wasn't in my life. My mom wasn't. My mom has mental illness. My brother had disappeared for 18 years. My sister found him in a hospital at 80 pounds. He had AIDS. He's alive now. He's in my life. But I didn't see him for 18 years. My sister was distant. We were in Phoenix, Arizona, all alone. Carmen's parents weren't much much closer to us. And so we were out there all alone planting a church. And I fell apart. I got help in that counseling. And then I told them I would stay six months during the transition. I didn't, I didn't take back my resignation. I'll stay six months. And I found out during that period of time that we only had five people on the board. They never told me why. The other four that didn't want me to be the pastor. Three years later, our chairman of the board told me what happened. They had a private meeting, and they stayed with their votes. We think Robin's ministry is over. We don't want Robin to be our pastor. To which the chairman of the board said, I can help you with that. You don't want Robin to be your pastor? Leave the church. Come on, people, laugh. Come on, it's fine. Don't make it so serious. Come on. It's in the past now. I never knew that for three years. And guess what? They left. And here's the deal. I came out of counseling. We did some personality testing. We were all so different on the board. We did spiritual gifts testing. We all had different gifts. We all had different personality. We all had different leadership styles. And we did some things that I'm doing today when I assess church planters. And guess what God did? God helped us understand each other. For the next 14 years, look at me, people. You can draw a straight line from 250 people to 3,000 and to two 5,000 Easters. We never lost another staff member. I had five staff people stay with me 14, 15, 16 years because we got each other. And we became a servant and we did whatever Jesus asked us to do. Now, you remember I told you I was going to give you the answer of Greg's. Guess what he asked for? Look at me, people. He asked for souls. He didn't ask for money. Then he did add this. God, you win more souls through church plants. Give us as many as you can till we sit at your feet. He told me that. I, I wept. He told me that. Guess what? He, he told the whole church, not from the pulpit. I'm not going to tell you from the pulpit what I said, but you can come and ask me. I made a beeline to his office Monday morning. 
what you asked for. You want me to tell you the sadness of all this? He had me speak to the staff just about a month ago, and I asked 53 people, raise your hand if you went and asked Greg what he said. One hand. Look at me, people. One hand. Do you know what I said to the staff? I love them. You know, I said, shame on you. I said, you don't have to ever like me again. You don't have to even tolerate me again, but shame on you. Your pastor told you that God spoke to him, and you could ask him what he said, and you didn't go ask him. So I didn't tell him the answer. I made Greg come up, and Greg shared the answer. Look at me, people. He shared what he asked for. And it was like the Holy Spirit fell on that crowd. And we all went to our knees. We went to our knees. People repented to him. They repented to me, said, we didn't understand what you were doing when you were on the road. We have been nothing but united. Guess what we're all going to do? Pray for more souls. Pray for more souls. Pray for more plants. You're going to have to watch the second service because I'm going to quit on time. I'm out of time, and I have an unbelievable story to tell you that you're not going to hear till the second service. <laughs> now look at me. Will you make three commitments today to do whatever he asks you to do? Did you hear me? Treat your children in the way he asks you to treat them. Get a doctorate on every kid in your family. Get a doctorate on your wife. Leaders, don't you dare lead this church without knowing everything about each other. We started every board meeting after the brokenness, sharing the deepest pain in our life, sharing what we're struggling with, sharing our personality. We shared one upside of our personality and one downside. We started for 30 minutes. Look at me, people. We could handle business in 22 minutes once all the agenda was off the table. Once we connected and cared for each other, no decision took much time to make. Did you hear me? Those of you in leadership know what I mean. You go into a board meeting with a lot of hurt and pain, and you dump it on everybody else. But when you pray for each other first, when you know each other, when you get each other, all of life changes. Every marriage that I've ever counseled, if I helped them get each other, it went to the moon. And everybody that stayed with, he doesn't get me at all. She doesn't get me at all has failed. So I'm going to ask you three things today. Would you commit to do whatever he asks you to do? Would you commit to know the people in your family and your influence? Would this board commit to understand each other at the highest level? And would you commit to never leave this vision? Would you bow your heads with me? Lord Jesus, fall on this place like you did at Union Chapel. Lord, we wept over souls. We wept over new churches. We wept over people coming to know you. Lord, all we want to ask for till the day we die is that you would lead our children, lead our sphere of influence, lead our friends to Jesus. That's all we ask for, that you lead them and use us to find people so we can lead them to Christ. Lord, would you put a special anointing on Paul and Tia? And I pray this in Jesus' name, and that we would lead, live, and love like Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen. Now, look up at me. You don't have to bow your heads. If God spoke to you, and I'm going to stay up here, Paul's going to stay up here after we dedicate the leaders. If God spoke to you and you want to pray with us, raise your hand. God bless you. I want to pray with you. God bless you. You've been awesome to preach to. 
I had to turn away from all these other boring people. You're awesome. Awesome. Okay, we'll be on both sides. Hey, I love you guys. Love you so much. Love you.